Can I say won't give it up? John Willis. Hello, Brian Chartrain. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Thanks for making the trip over. Um, doing the podcast, I did a little bit of uh, Facebook uh, research on you. I found out some things I didn't know already. Uh-oh. All good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I love uh, to hear about is um, some early musical memories of yours. Um, maybe it was a record um, that you distinctly remember hearing as a kid that was inspiring to you, or maybe music that was played just in your house, or how um, siblings affected the music uh. that you listened to, and ultimately how it led to your instrument. Um, so let's start there. Um, early, well, let's start here, actually. I'm assuming you grew up here. More or less, yeah. Uh, my dad was a professor, and he landed a job at Northern Arizona University when I was five. Okay. So that's when we moved to Flagstaff, and okay. I grew up in Flagstaff. And where were you before five? Um, I was born in West Virginia, and then we went to Washington, D.C. briefly, and then Boulder, Colorado, and then Flagstaff. Okay. And what was he a professor of? Physics. Okay. Smarty pants. Well, yeah. He, he, got, <laughs> he joined the Navy for World, World War II and uh, was trained as a Navy pilot and finished his training right around the time that the, uh, the war ended because of the, the A-bomb, basically. Yeah, wow. So, you know, physics, physicists were big heroes back then. So yeah. So he went back to school and no became shit. a physicist. And, okay. Yeah. And, uh, all right, so you're a little kid. You're five years old. You're in flag. Um, what was the music that was played? Uh, well, I have three siblings, all older. I was, You're I was, the youngest. I was the accident, the youngest, yeah, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, cheers <laughs> to that. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a brother who's actually a professional musician still, um, and he, his name's Steve Willis, and he just moved back to Flagstaff recently. Okay. Um, my oldest brother, Jeff, is an attorney, and my sister, Kathy, lives in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I listened to basically what they were listening to for the most part, which was Beatles, Stones, and my brother got Steve got heavily into blues. Okay, so that was in our house a lot when I was growing up. How do you think? I mean, how did that? How does that happen? I'm assuming access to blues records in Flag wasn't I'm like you don't go to Flag to to discover new blues. Hotbed of the blues, right? Exactly. <laughs> so. How does how did that music kind of come into your life? I have no idea, man. I got it through Steve, <laughs> yeah. and I I guess he was probably at record stores digging through bins and yeah. and reading books and magazines and stuff. He, uh-huh. I mean, he was doggedly determined to hear some blues, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it it never really, you know, I I grew up listening to it, but it never really grabbed me the way it did him. I was always more of a jazz guy and rock and okay, but it obviously heavily influenced me it seeped in sure and what was his what is his instrument he plays piano mostly but also harmonica accordion okay sings all right and did he go to school for that no 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 just, just picked it up yeah yeah self-taught mostly and did he do nau or uh, well, actually he wound up getting a degree from nau but not in music not in music and that was much later after he'd been playing music for a couple decades i think no shit yeah and just decides to go get a go get a bachelor's or whatever yeah yeah um all right so you're steeped in this kind of classic uh american music well not even american music beatles but you know so put a time 
frame on this when when were you kind of when were you kind of coming online as far as music is concerned <laughs> coming on i remember the first song i ever heard that, right. that i remember it was run for your life by the beatles okay and uh i don't remember which sibling had it on their record player but i went into their room and put put the needle down and, you know yeah 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 and uh i i remember hearing it because uh, the line you better hide your head in the sand little girl and that i for some reason associated that with an ostrich you know yeah yeah and uh I was like, this is the best song ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dark song, really, if you what, listen to it. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think, what, what album was that on? Uh, I think that must have been Rubber Soul. Okay. Somewhere. Yeah, I think so. Rubber Soul. So probably 65 or 6. I was, you know, yeah. a toddler still. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, how and when did you kind of come to your instrument? And how did, like, the early years... Did, were you part of like the school band program? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So tell me about that experience. Um, I knew I wanted to be a bass player. Really? From the, yeah, from the very beginning. I don't know why. I think, I think I remember listening to the, the house kind of throbbing when somebody was listening to music mm. and I was like, what is, what's making that happen? You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And my brother was in a band with this, this guy who I thought was really cool named John Cavanaugh. He was the bass player. Just real, just a cool guy. You right, know? right. And I'd, I'd sit around watching them practice and listen to what he was doing and go, that is, that's the shit, man. I want to do that. <laughs> but um, my parents, uh, were, you know, they wanted to make sure I was serious about this. So I, I remember I joined the school orchestra in third or fourth grade mm -hmm. and I played viola. And then I'd moved to the band and played trumpet for a while. Mm -hmm. And they got me a little acoustic guitar and said, you know, if you're serious, maybe you can move to bass. And hmm. I played guitar for a year or so and then switched to bass. Do you think your decision to play the bass had anything to do with the fact that your brother played the piano? Like, like you wanted to be able to accompany him. Was that a thought in your mind? Not at that point. No. But certainly later, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I wanted to play the bass. I, yeah, and and I, didn't, I, you know, I didn't necessarily <clears throat> think that all the stuff he was playing was that cool. Uh -huh. I did, but I knew what I wanted to do. You know, and That's awesome. It just spoke to you. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, you can't really put your finger on it in the sense that, like, um, but you knew someone who you thought was cool who played the bass, and so naturally, that's what I want to do. I want to be cool. Yeah. Well, right? who doesn't want to be cool? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> still, still searching, still trying. No, no kidding. Um, so, all right, so you go through the band program. This is Up in Flag. Mm-hmm. And graduate, um, I think I saw it on, on um, Facebook uh, was it Cocodino? Cocodino High School. Is that up there? Yeah. That's up yeah. there. You yeah. did some research. I did huh? some research. Come on, man. Wow. So you, okay, graduate high school. And then I also saw that you spent some time in Boston mm -hmm. at Berkeley. And was that right after high school? Was it, I mean, you were like, all right, I'm, I want to pursue this on a level. Um, I knew I wanted to go to a music school right mm -hmm. out of high school. Mm -hmm. But I was in a working band. Mm. And I took a year to just travel around, basically around Arizona. Mm -hmm. I think we might have gone to California once or twice. But, it, you know, it was a bar band mm -hmm. with a bunch of people way older than me. Mm -hmm. And we were having a great time. So yeah. I did that for a year, and then I went to Boston. Um, what, was, what was your impression of Boston at that time? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I was totally overwhelmed at first, as you can imagine, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time, I'm assuming, like leaving Flag on a on a on a as a young adult. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, first time I had moved anywhere. Sure, yeah. Right. 
Right. Yeah, and I got, I remember the flight came in late at night and I got a cab and my brothers were telling me, all right, you know, this is how you hail a cab and this is what you tip them and don't let them take you here and don't, you know. <laughs> so I'm freaking out. I'm like, what have I gotten myself into here? And, right, uh, right. It's dark and the cabbie's like, so where are you from? And I, yeah. Oh, I, I told him, so, what the hell are you doing here, kid? <laughs> and, then, and then we got in an accident. On, no the, on the way to the dorm, and he jumps out of his cab and just starts screaming at this guy. The light turns green, they get in their cars and drive off. And go, I'm like, what the hell is Welcome going to on Boston, here? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. What do you remember from uh, from the, from that experience? Did you, you did a, all four years there? You no. Gotta... no. When I was going there, it's kind of funny, I, I think, but like my... Uh, my stepson just graduated from Berkeley a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. And I was thinking, man, when I was at Berkeley, if you graduated, you were just a nerd, you know? Right, right, right. It was right. like, you can't, if you can't get what you need out of the school in two years, then something's wrong. But Interesting. That was the attitude then. It's, yeah. That's changed a lot now. But. Yeah. So you did a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Were you, I'm assuming you're also gigging in town. And, and what was the curriculum like? What were you focusing on? Um, I was an electric bass uh, performance major. And... Uh, I had a couple of private teachers and several ensembles. I was trying to get in all the ensembles I could. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, it, looking back on it, it was a really special time, but I didn't realize that at the time, you sure. know, how that works. Sure. But I would wake up in the morning and go to classes on uh, ear training and harmony. And then after the class, I'd go to a couple ensembles and I'd practice for a while and I'd have a private lesson and go play a gig. Right. Just, so you were also working. Yeah. Just, you know, playing gigs on the weekend and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, specifically for jazz or was it like any ensemble or mostly jazz? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I was playing electric. So a lot of the, the straight ahead right. jazz ensembles didn't really want me in right. involved. You know, I, I started picking up upright halfway seriously back then, but I was never that good at it. Yeah. And it just wasn't the instrument. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. You know, I I'd, I'd play fretless and I go, come on, I sound just like an upright. Right. Like, right. No, you don't kid. Go away. <laughs> But <laughs> I tried. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you have any early, do you have any memories like of some of the clubs that you were playing or any of the players or um, any uh, specific experiences of, of working and, and living and studying in Boston? Oh yeah. Well, a lot. Um, There's some incredible musicians there. As, as, yeah. As you would imagine, you know? Yeah. Um, the gigs I was playing were mostly pretty uneventful jazz-wise. Mm-hmm. There was this little grocery store just down the street from Berkeley where you could go play a couple sets and they'd give you like 50 bucks credit. <laughs> so we all wanted that gig, you know? Jesus. Get to buy some groceries for the week. Right, right. Yeah. But mostly I was catching a tee out to go north and then catch a ride to Revere Beach and play top 40 music out of this weird yeah. little bar up there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you did, so you did two years and did, do you think that you, you got everything you needed? I mean, looking back, looking back, I think I got everything that my pea brain could absorb at that time. You know, <laughs> you'd reached your capacity <laughs> pretty much. I can't take anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of, a, I think I hit my, hit a wall, mm-hmm. um, as far as just living in Boston and sure what I could absorb and yeah. Were you, were you ever like getting into New York city? Was that a scene that, that you had access to at that time? A little bit. I didn't really ever play there, but I went Mm -hmm. down there a lot and checked out music. Sure. One of my best friends was from uh, Connecticut and I'd go stay with him and we go into the city now and then. But yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that a kid from flag, you know, I mean, 
okay, I grew up in Western Massachusetts and, you know, specifically Berkeley, you know, I, I knew about it and I thought, man, if, you know, I never thought I could get in. I never, that was not my path, but I just, I was, I was, you know, as a kid, I remember thinking, man, if I could a go to Berkeley or B get down to New York and play some gigs, like that's, that's like the Holy grail. That's like the promised land, Yeah, you know? So, and, and as a kid, you're what, 20 years old or 19 and, and you're down in New York for the first time seeing music. How did that experience kind of affect you? I mean, I'm assuming it was inspiring and cool, but, oh, yeah. but did it ever speak to you? Like I need to be in New York to do this thing. No, no. I always knew that I wasn't really an East coast guy. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. um, I, I remember the moment I decided I had to get out of Boston Okay, I was walking across the street and this, you know, a nor'easter blew right into my face, and I was yeah. like, oh, "This is it. I'm done, man." I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> no, I've I've had very similar experiences where it's like I don't need another uh, New England uh, winter. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah. So at that point, um, do you go back to Flag? Um, boy, it's a little bit complicated there. Uh, some guys I was with, I went to school with. We actually lived next to each other in the dorm for a semester. Um, started a band and the drummer lived in Houston mm-hmm. and we all went to Houston and played a bunch of gigs and uh, mainly the guitar player was writing music. We were doing some originals and cool. We did like a tour of colleges and stuff. It was really, that was a fun time. Was that through NACA that you got that no. tour together? You just kind of put it together. That was through entirely the drummers hustling. Nice. And, uh, and looking back on that, it's just a, a crazy group of people and we're all still in touch with each other. Oh, too. that's and, awesome. But, uh, the drummer's Bobby Rock, who played with uh, Vinny Vincent. He's out with Lita Ford all the time now. Okay, so a rocker. Oh, he is now, yeah. <laughs> we were trying to play jazz back then, <laughs> you know? What an interesting journey. Yeah. Jazz to rock and everything in between. and So Houston for a little bit. Um, uh, I went to the Bay Area for a while. Um, really did not have much luck finding gigs there. Hmm. And uh, But my have my family's kind of been between the Bay area and Flagstaff for years and years. And okay. So I had like a support system there. Yeah. Um, and then just decided to go back Flagstaff and see what it was like for a little while. You know, I was kind of homesick and burned out. Sure. Sure. And, and put an age on this. How old are you at this point? 21, probably. Damn. 20. And what was the, do you have any memories of the scene in San Francisco at that time? Like what kind of, what kind of gigs were you finding? Uh, well, I I went there at the invitation of another guy whose name I can't even remember now, and uh, he had promised us all these you know a pie in the sky thing. You know, mm-hmm. it was a bunch of other Berkeley guys too, mm-hmm. and we had this little place in Berkeley, the other Berkeley, right, right, right. <laughs> Berkeley West, <laughs> which is what, funny. That's where my dad thought I wanted to go to school when I told him I was going to Berkeley. Oh no shit! Oh, that's a great school. <laughs> Wait a minute, Massachusetts. What, what the fuck? Yeah, what did I agree to here? <laughs> which brings uh, up an interesting point. Um, how supportive uh, were your folks about pursuing music on that level? My parents were remarkably supportive every step of the way Yeah, with a whole bunch of caveats. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, are you sure about this? And, right. uh, have you thought about what you're going to do if this doesn't work? You know, the, the plan B talk. But, you know, despite all the talk, they supported me every step of the way. Do you think it's because you were the youngest and they were like, you know what? We did really well with these other three. <laughs> <laughs> the other three are going to be just fine. Let's let John just do whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, 
I have a feeling my siblings would say that's exactly what it was. You <laughs> spoiled little brat. Right, right, right. Yeah, we'll let you. You can go pursue music. We're gonna go do you know respectable things uh, with our lives. So all right, so so you finish up your time in San Fran and you make it back to Flag. What happens at that point? Oh, the, okay. That was actually kind of a key period of time for me because <clears throat> I decided I'd go to school at NAU while I was there. I was mm-hmm. just kind of killing time trying to figure out what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did a semester at NAU. And during that period of time, my brother's, my brother had been playing in a band that was pretty successful around here called S.E. Willis and the Wayward Sons. Okay. And he and I and some other friends of ours decided to put another band together with Bob Meehan, kind of a local legend back in those days. I don't know Bob Meehan. He's in the... Uh, Arizona Music Hall of Fame and stuff now. Okay, but he he had had a pretty amazing career for a while, hmm. and um, he doing was, his own stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, you know, whatever circumstances led him to this, he he was living in Flagstaff at the time too. So we grabbed him and we started a band. And at now, this is also another interesting thing that I'm I'm fascinating this this sibling sibling bands. Yeah. So obviously your your oldest brother um, saw that you had some talent and let's you know kind of like let's let's go to work together let's because he well as you say he was already a, an established gigging professional yeah. musician and here's his youngest brother let's bring him in how was that I mean how is it being in a band with your sibling how much time we got well <laughs> I'm flexible bro let's just air it all out um. I can't speak for him, but um, the idea of being in a band with him absolutely thrilled me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it was going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, we we did we traveled all over the place together. We got to know each other as friends instead of my older brother and me, you know. And, right, right. And, uh, you know, we still play together a lot, and we're trying to write some, some together now. Nice. So it's it's kind of turned into a... Well, without that period of time, we wouldn't be the friends that we are today. Mm. I'll just, you know, leave it at that, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm also curious just about the musical kinship of siblings. You know, I I work with um, brothers who, who work, uh, brothers who play together. And the way that they can have a conversation uh, musically on stage, um, I'm fascinated by because they get to, they get to draw from these really deep, connections right and experiences and they can look at each other and know what's going to happen you know or referencing things that they both experienced kind of in a previous setting and i'm just always it's like it's like blood harmony right there's some sort of cosmic genetic connection that you have with these people and you're and you're in real time um having these musical conversations um so I'm just curious because I never had been able to, to have that with my brother. But uh, how, I mean, how, how is that? How can you even describe it? Like that connection? I mean, and did you, am I correct in saying that, that you can reference things? You're, you're having a musical conversation on stage, um, but you're also referencing personal family experiences. Like, is that true? Yeah, I, I guess I would agree with that. Yeah. It, it would be very hard for me to identify anything specific. But, sure. Right. But we, we, every now and then we'll, 
you know, shoot a glance and I'll, oh, he's going to go do this now, or he'll right. quote something and I'll understand what he's, where he's going to go next. You know? Right, right, right. And we have such wildly different backgrounds musically that it's not like we're having like a, one of those musical conversations where we're throwing riffs back and forth and stuff. But, right. But we, I know, I have a pretty good idea what his uh, repertoire is and where he's going to lead us next when he's the band leader. Well, and that's part of it too, just having that shared musical experience. Yeah. And yeah. you might not even, as you say, play the same genre or come from the same spot, but you have shared these musical experiences, whether it's listening to Beatles in his room or <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, like you understand each other on a, on a level that, that you and I, for example, we, we can't really get that deep yeah. on it. You know, yeah, you, I have to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And then that on the, you know, the flip side of that is he'll drive you absolutely crazy. Well, right. <laughs> well, and you know, not only are you working together, but now you're traveling together. Maybe you're sharing a hotel room. Oh, like yeah. you're in it. Yep. Yeah. So how long, how long was that moment in time for you? I think that band lasted about five years. Mm-hmm. And this is, meanwhile, you're, you're what, finishing your bachelor's at NAU? Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> that ship I left itself. that way in yeah, the background. Yeah. <laughs> there was no room for self-improvement during no. this time period. <laughs> we were out there partying. Yeah. And yeah. we were driving around. We were just stuck in vans together, driving up and down the roads. And yeah. We had a good time. I bet but. you did. I bet you did. Were you, did you ever come down to Phoenix and, and oh, yeah. like what rooms were you playing in Phoenix at that time? Uh, Tony's New Yorker, Char's, mm. um, those were our big ones in Phoenix. There yeah. was another place called Keaton's in Tucson that we, we had our little routine, you, had a route. you know? Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost all in Arizona. We'd go up to Durango now and then too. And Uh-huh. Um, Char's, that, that, that's interesting that. I... Not Char's has the blues, but oh. Char's over in Tempe. Oh. It was a, mostly a jazz club, um. Nancy Jackson and Jim Simmons took, uh, I think they owned it. They certainly managed it for a while. Yeah. It's over in Hayden Square. Ah, okay. Great music at that place over the years. Really? Oh, yeah. So were you a part, I mean, obviously you were a part of this, the um, the music scene in, in Tempe at that time, um, you know, from from rapping with, with some of our colleagues. Um, like jazz was kind of a big thing, mm-hmm. you know, in Tempe. Um, was that the case? I mean, is that what you guys were playing or were you doing oh, no. more top 40 stuff? And uh, we, I remember very clearly that when we got this band together, we all sat down at, uh, I think my brother's house actually. And we were going, what do we, you know, how can we make money? What can we do? And, uh, and big chill had just come out. Great movie. And we were incredible all, soundtrack. Yeah. We were all like, well, we all love Motown. Let's see if we can do that. So all the, you know, we were a bunch of white boys in Flagstaff playing Motown. <laughs> well, the, well, the interesting thing is a lot of that soul music, I mean, specifically. Oh, Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals. Yeah, that's where you're going. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was all a bunch of white kids playing soul music. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were just as good as just those as guys. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I do not doubt that. Yeah. Okay. That. <laughs> um, so you're, wow. So, you, so you're doing like Motown soul stuff in Tempe and how was it getting over? Oh, great. That was, in, I, I, in terms of Arizona, that was a very successful band. Really? And that only lasted a few years? Yeah, we, I mean, we tried writing a few times and nobody was really interested. And mm-hmm. we tried recording a few times and no one was really interested. But we were a good party band. Yeah. And we did all the festivals, you know. and Yeah. And, yeah, the Tempe block parties and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any work like on campus with like, were the kids in, into it? I mean, you're a kid at this time. So yeah. like, these are your peers. Are they, are they, 
Um, yeah, it was kind of different back then. Yeah. Um, what, what was going on? I don't remember that there was much going on on campus at all, hmm. but all those places were right around campus. Sure. You know? Right. So it was Middle Avenue yeah. was happening, right? I mean, there were a bunch of clubs or. Yeah, there was a bunch of clubs. It was, you wouldn't have recognized it compared to right, you know, the way it is now. Yeah. But, I mean, even in the 20 odd years that I've been here, Mill has completely changed. Yeah. Um, I got here right kind of as that scene was going away. Some of the, you know, the iconic clubs um, from the 80s, 90s. I got here in 2003. I even remember I applied for a job at Nita's Hideaway <laughs> before I even got out here because I just try, I was trying to do some research and, you know, where are the band's playing. And, and I think by the time I got out here, it was gone, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that was sad. That was sad. I wish I could have experienced a mill with a bunch of great live music on yeah. it. Yeah. You know? There were a lot of bands going on around around that place. Do then. you, like, what were, what were some of the other bands? Uh, well, Small Paul and Driving Wheel was a good band. Uh, Chuck Hall and the Brick Wall. Texas Red and the Heartbreakers. These are mostly blues and soul bands. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, the Gin Blossoms were just getting started right around then. I think like the... So this is early 90s. Late, late 80s. 80s, early 90s. I think the Gin Blossoms were getting started. Mm -hmm. Long Wongs was just starting to have music, I think. Wow. If I remember right. Wow. I could be, I could be very wrong about that. So <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little hazy, a little foggy. It's, it's a long time ago, and I wasn't sure what was going on at the time, let alone now. <laughs> so what, uh, so what happens after that? You're, you're, you're now what, in your early, mid-20s, you've been gigging for, what, 10 years, 10 odd years at this point? Oh yeah, well yeah. I started playing when I was fourteen in right. bars. So, oh no shit. Yeah, yeah. I was playing in Nortania band up there. No shit. <laughs> That's awesome. So what happens now? You're 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 already ten years into a career, or plus, you know, ten plus years into a career. What 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 was the driving thing at that point? Uh, paying the bills. Yeah. You know, um, a guitar player named Dale Cadell, who was in that band, The Shake, with my brother and I and Bob Meehan, uh, he and I just sort of stuck together through all of it. And uh, we had another band called uh, Delusions, which I thought was appropriately titled. <laughs> uh, we played with Tommy Dukes a lot, did an album with him. Okay. It was really good. And then, then we started this band called Limbs Akimbo. Whoa. In, I want to say 90, 91 maybe. And, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going sure, on too. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So you just basically transitioned to a new band at that point. Yeah, it it took a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then just full-time gigging musician out there hustling. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the story goes, is sponsored by Santan Brewing Company, located right here in Chandler, Arizona. They have a couple great brew pubs. There's one in Chandler, obviously. Uh, but they also have a brew pub at Sky Harbor Airport in Terminal 3. And I'm in and out of that terminal a bunch. And I love it. I'd like to get to the airport early, saddle up to that bar, have a little moon juice, get me ready for my flight. They're also opening a brand new event space called Santan Gardens. Now you can rent it out if you want to do like a wedding. It, you know, it has a capacity of 150 people uh, in a safe and socially distant space. It's indoor-outdoor, but they're also planning some really cool events. And I wanted to tell you about one coming up Saturday, March 19th, 2022. 
Day of the Dead. 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 With Extra Ticket. We're talking about Grateful Dead music, y'all. Santan Gardens is located at 495 East Warner Road, again, in Chandler. They're selling tickets now. Santanbrewing.com forward slash events. Tickets are only 18 bones. There's going to be a food truck. Obviously some great tunes. Day of the Dead, Saturday, March 19th, 2022, at Santan Gardens. I'll see you there. So the story goes is also brought to you by the fantastic ladies of the Engstrom team. Oh my. I'm talking about Becky, Carrie, and Kate. You know this. These are dear friends of mine. It's a mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. They've been selling homes in Phoenix for 25 years and they know the market well. Are you a first-time home buyer? Do you need more space for your family? Do you have questions on if this is the right time to sell? Becky, Carey, and Kate will walk you through the real estate process front to back, leaving no stones unturned. They have all the connections to get your house ready for sale and excellent resources for the loan process. They truly, and I, I, I know this, they truly treat their clients like family because, hey, look at me, they helped me buy my first home. And they just happen to be huge music lovers. Actually, I was in a band with with uh, Kate's husband, Caleb. I was in a little band called $10 Outfit. No big deal, small plug. Uh, the market's crazy. You need some pros. Becky, Carey, and Kate, they'll hook you up. 480-250-1936. I didn't realize this, but we share a love of Steely Dan. Oh my, yes. Do you remember... When that happened, do you remember the record? Do you remember the the circumstance? Um, I remember two things about my early exposure to Celia Dan, actually. Uh, one was walking down the street with a transistor radio. But as I know. Do. I as know. You do. <laughs> as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, hmm, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Where has that happened before? Okay. Anyway, I heard uh, Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it was on the top 40 at that time or something. I was like, whoa, this doesn't sound like anything I've Which heard Which is crazy when you think about it. Like, Do It Again was their first single? Yeah. Like, who okayed this? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? All right, so you hear Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Incredible song. And, uh, oh yeah, to this day. Right, yeah. right. And, and um, a lot of my early musical experiences happened thanks to the Columbia House Record Company. Yes. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to work my butt off trying to scam them every month, you know. <laughs> but I got pretty much got a big stack of Steely Dan albums in the mail, you know. And yeah, I've never been the same. Right, so. right. I remember, um, I remember hearing Nightfly, which is Donald Fagan's uh, solo record, and and just being blown away by that. Um, my uncle introduced me to Steely Dan Gold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great record. And then from there, I just, I, I, and this is back when tapes were the thing. Mm-hmm. And I have all the, I still have all the tapes. I see them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, folks. He has them right here. <laughs> I just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was the, I think for me, it was the synthesis of, of things that I loved. Um, it was the synthesis of rock and roll and jazz mm-hmm. and blues, um, which I thought was just super cool. And as a kid, these really cryptic lyrics. Yep. I knew 
what he was talking about was probably super cool as you know and i was like i want to i want to know what he's talking about yeah like and he's i mean the, the way that they composed uh songs um it just felt very intentional even in even in moments where it was loose there was a solo everything i mean asia is a great example of controlled chaos in, in a way that i and as a drummer, I was a drummer as a kid. Um, their drummers were f- amazing, and um, but it, it felt so intentional and loose at the same time, which I didn't. I don't think any other band um, kind of touches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you get to see them live? I saw. Yeah, I've seen them several times now. Yeah, but not no, not back in the early days. No, no, not no, no. I'm not. I'm not quite that old. <laughs> Close. Well, I, I saw them, and we were just talking about um, Alive in America. Yeah. When that record came out, they hadn't toured, what, in 20 years at least, Something right? like that, 70s yeah. to not early 90s. Um, and then, I, you know, growing up on the East Coast, I saw them uh, a number of times and was just, I'm just such a huge fan. And it, and it still is the kind of the gold standard for me. If I can achieve a fraction of their composition i feel like i've i've done a good job yep you're i'm right there with you man yeah who are some of your um favorite bass players <laughs> well let's let's open up those steely dan tapes shall we <laughs> right uh man abel boreal mm-hmm. killer yeah um marcus miller anthony jackson i mean all those guys are amazing yeah um if i had to say who really influenced me the most um, I think, you know, Jocko, well, Jocko, of course, I'm, re- I'm legally required to say Jocko. <laughs> I mean, every bass player kind of is, but I did, I had a, a Rickenbacker 4001 that I bought in the seventies from money I made during a summer job once. And then I heard uh heavy weather by weather report and I brought it, brought it to a guitar shop and said, take the frets out of this thing. Oh no shit. Destroyed the bass. You know, right, right. I had a fretless by God. Right. So yeah, Jocko was an influence on me. Yeah. Um, but uh, John Entwistle was probably the. Oh no shit. He's probably the reason I really played bass. Wow. Tell me about that. I mean, his style um, is so. It reminds me. I don't know if you're a deadhead. Um, it reminds me of Phil Lesh in a way. Super melodic. You know, deceivingly simple, but also busy at the same time. Yeah. His. Um, but no, I mean, tell me, tell me about John Entwistle and, and and what that meant to you and how that affected you. Uh, well, you you hit on a lot of it right there. I mean, you know, he he is a real busy player, but somehow he held it all together. I mean, playing with Keith Moon, somebody had to pay somebody, attention to the beat, you know. Somebody <laughs> had to keep the train on the tracks, man. And that's funny that it that it came down to John, who was super rhythmic and melodic. I mean, what an incredible assembly of of players, and that's a unique moment in that. Um, maybe similar to some other bands, but what an incredible, just instrumental trio! You you yeah. take out the singer, the the, yeah. the the music is just fascinating to me. Yeah, and his tone too. I mean, what? Tell me about his tone. Like how? Like what was he doing? Well, that's a good question. I don't really know. I've never been able to recreate that. No shit. Um, but he just had this huge. That rich. I mean, have you heard those isolated tracks of his that are available online now? No. So it sounds horrible. <laughs> no it, shit. But you put it in the mix and it's 
big and fat and it's you know he's doing those those busy licks on the top of the neck they, yeah they sound great you know was he playing a fretless no okay no yeah and what i don't even know what was it a rickenbacker bass that he was playing um he played a whole bunch of different basses um and it was a four string yeah wow yeah he had just that odd way of standing when yes it, with the, yeah, like open palm. Yeah. I don't know how he was doing that. It was almost like he wasn't playing the bass. It, 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 he could have been playing, I don't know, just some like it, instrument from the future. It looked kind of like he was waiting for a cab. <laughs> <laughs> and all this noise was coming out. It's like, what yeah. the hell? Well, it's funny that you say when you listen to the isolated tracks, because um, did you check out that the Beatles... Uh, um, not not the not the more recent one, the one that uh, Paul McCartney did with Rick uh, Rubin. Where they oh would, yeah, I watched three two one or I yeah. think it's called Beatles. I, I watched some of that, yeah. And they would isolate these tracks, and you're like, "That's that's it." Yeah, you know. But when you put it in context, you're like, "Oh my god, it makes complete sense," and it totally fills out the production. You know, and it fills out. It's such a great compliment to this and this and this. But when you just hear it by itself, you're like, that couldn't have been the that couldn't have been the take. Yeah. Come on, this is ridiculous. It, it couldn't even have been the, the same guy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I remember uh to, to, on that subject, um Clark Rigsby, you probably mm-hmm. know Clark. I know Clark, yeah. Um he uh played me some isolated tracks from a Tower of Power album he was mixing, a live Tower of Power. And I love Tower too. Rocker was a huge influence. Mm-hmm. Um and he isolated the bass and drums. I was like, What? No, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then he pulls everything back up and I'm like, oh man, just boom. It fills, you know, fills out perfectly and that that rock solid rhythm section is right there and everything. I don't know much about Tower of Power. That it was too horn driven, I think, for me. I mean, I don't know. I love that stuff. Right? Okay, so <laughs> along those lines, are there other artists? Um uh, you said Weather Report, Tower of Power. What wait? I don't even know. Does Weather Report even have horns? They had Wayne Shorter playing oh, sax. Wow, that's a, yeah. okay. Not a, not a terrible sax player, I yeah, suppose. He's okay. He's okay. <laughs> he has a future if he yeah. keeps practicing. <laughs> Are there other bands like that 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 you would count uh, as as inspiration? Oh sure, I'm. I love horns. <laughs> yeah, I, I like uh, I like a lot of music that. Just not necessarily the band had a horn section, but they brought horns in. But mm-hmm. Earth, Wind, and Fire, good lord, man! Oh yeah, what a great band! Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, Tower Power Horns played on all kinds of stuff that I've loved over the years. That that Little Feet Live album, oh, is amazing. What is that? Uh, it's I need called to... Waiting for Columbus. Okay, like uh, Lowell George is still alive, and oh wow, that's an old album now, but that was a huge influence on me. Yeah, yeah. Um. I also noticed that you uh, worked at Fender. Oh yeah, yeah. How did that go? <laughs> Tell me about that experience. That this is when Fender had a, had their headquarters or one of their headquarters mm-hmm. in Scottsdale. Right. Was that is that right? Yes. So when was this? Um. Well, let's uh, for a little context. In 1998, I decided it was time to grow up. <laughs> so I I got married. Better late than never. <laughs> Yeah, well, still a progress, <laughs> right, work in progress. Right, right, right. So I got married in 1999 to this, uh, uh, that's a whole different episode. Well, that's another podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, but yeah. And uh, we decided that the place we could eat most easily settle down, she was living in Fargo, North Dakota at the time, working on a, on a degree. And we decided that the easiest place for us to move to and we could both start making money was Phoenix. 
So wait, where where were you living at the time? I was still in Flagstaff. Oh, okay, okay. She's it's a long story. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> I told you, we can go as long yeah. as we need. All right. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have a couch. I may need, right. yeah. I may need to lay it's down for this couch. part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little therapy. Um, so anyway, we come. We I found a rental house in Chandler, and we move in there. And uh, I'm like, well, now I got to make some money. Yeah. And I was kind of burned out on gigging all the time, and I thought, let's. I'm going to try a day job. What the hell? Yeah. And uh, I got an uh, interview at uh, Fender through an old fin- friend of mine, and I go up to there and. Bob Willicks is the guy I'm doing the interview with. Do you know Bob? I do. Yeah. yeah. I see Richard McDonald walk by, Don Wiggins. I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I know all these guys. Yeah. This looks like a cool place to work. And yeah. So I got in there and uh, I was in consumer relations at first, answering the phones and everything. And yeah. And at that point, I decided, you know, this isn't too bad. I kind of like this place. Yeah. And uh, I went and finished my bachelor's degree and got a um then a master's in marketing too while no i was shit. working there and i wound up getting the swr bass amp line so i was, I was oh, managing no. that wow and uh i i loved it it's thriving you know yeah and uh there were a whole bunch of changes at the top of their company during my tenure there that it just increasingly got uh weirder and weirder basically for mm-hmm. lack of you know more expressive language right <laughs> <laughs> um and SWR was was not doing too good either, so they wound up shelving SWR and letting me go. Huh. And that was uh, after eleven years there. Wow, wow. And I was still gigging too, but uh, you know, learning all about that that part of how the business world works mm. and going into an office every day and finishing my college degrees up. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to take this as a win. You know, even though I'm wondering what happened right right <laughs> it's hard not to look at it as like well i wonder how my music career would be doing if i'd spent that 10 years working on that but right you know. right um i i have spoken with a number of people who come in and out of music that come in and out of live performance and i can kind of relate because part of the reason why i'm even in phoenix was to get away from music um, looking back on that time for you, do you, do you see it as kind of beneficial? Like I needed a reset. I needed to do something else to be able to come back to it with renewed passion and, and, um, investment, you know, is that mm-hmm. true in your case? Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, it, it offered me, uh, access to parts of the business I never would have gotten into before, you know, just like when we had we had to deal with all of our artists with SWR and I, you know, tried to make it a point of inserting myself into all those situations. So it was hanging out with some of my heroes, you know? Yeah. And getting to watch the way they approach their instrument and their career and hanging out with them in sessions and stuff. I was like, damn, hmm. this guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are some of those artists? Uh, the guy I worked with the most was Marcus. Oh, we did a preamp with him and I spent as much time as I possibly could with him you know, get doing clinics and I went out to Santa Monica a lot and hung out in the studio with him and stuff. But wow. Wow. But, uh, um, Jimmy Haslip and Tony Franklin. Do you, do you know Tony? I don't. Uh, he played in the firm and blue oh. murder. He was working for Fender too. So we were kind of like a, a team. Okay. He, he would do a clinic, a base clinic and I would try to sell them amps, you know? Uh huh. Uh huh. So we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Traveling and stuff. So nice. So it was some great experiences. I learned a lot. And yes, by the time I got done with all that, I was like, well, 
it's time to start working on my stuff now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have the experience? I feel like on some level that experience might've been like pulling the curtain back and, and you, you get to see kind of the underbelly of the music industry in a way. Did, was that true f- for you? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, was that a positive thing or a negative thing? I'm not sure you could either, you could call it either one. Mm-hmm. It was just the way it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, when you find out some of your heroes are scrambling for work, just like you are, it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> what right. did I get myself into here? You know? Right. Right. But there's no retirement plans or stock options in music, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So when now that transition from working at Fender to what, going right back to being a full-time musician? Pretty much. I spent a year working with a, a friend of mine who was, um, launching a startup mm-hmm. I helped her with the website and you know just everything that it takes mm-hmm. but that was you know that obviously wasn't going to be a full-time thing anyway so uh, after that I saw that Ray Herndon was looking for a bass player and jumped at that because well I won't have to move an amp right <laughs> steady work what five nights a week at that point at that point yeah it was crazy and this is what early 2000s mid 2000s that was 2013 i think okay 14 maybe okay um i think i think i learned about you and maybe even met you through demarco yeah I think, DeMarco. I think that's right yeah how did you guys get connected um he and i you know he was a flagstaff guy too mm-hmm. but we were never really there at the same time but we have so many mutual friends and and people kept telling me i needed to to meet him and listen to him and you guys would be great together. You need to work with him and stuff I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. And I can't remember when I finally met him, but it was, you know, when I did, it was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I've known you forever. That's right. <laughs> uh, I feel like, um, his sensibilities and your sensibilities work v- really well together. Yeah. I, I think we get each other on some level. Yeah. 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 And how long did you work with him? How long? Well, before he moved to LA, obviously, but, uh, couple years i guess mm-hmm. we, we had a pretty good thing going for a little while with with todd on drums yeah and, and uh mike terry, mike terry. yeah yeah, yeah. At, at postino right i yeah. mean you guys had a regular thing there for a long time and um i i remember going down to see you guys there i can't believe you put a four piece in that little yeah section of the patio <laughs> i don't know how you did it it was tight but it was fun too you know yeah. sometimes those are the best gigs when you can't move and right <laughs> All right, strap me in, boys. I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> I'll see you in three hours. <laughs> Somebody get me a panini. I'm starving. <laughs> yeah. So um, joining up with Ray uh, at Handlebar Jays, uh, what an incredible band, but also not necessarily the music that you kind of grew up playing or oh. because they do more of the kind of pop country stuff or, or how would you describe that? Uh, boy. They, I mean, they do a little bit of everything. I mean, yeah. I'll go in and I'll, you'll hear kind of classic country, but then he'll do a James Taylor song, and then you mm-hmm. you'll bring horns in for a rock night. Is that Chuck Hall that that also joins? Is that uh, he, what that we was? used to do a, a monthly thing with Chuck? Yeah, uh, but with the horns, <laughs> no. It's usually we get Jay David up there and they did Jay David's lone singing mm-hmm. and our horn section, and that's a lot of fun. I love doing that. Yeah, and my my singing repertoire like triples when the horns are there. <laughs> Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> you and do you sing in in there in that band? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You you do leads as well. I don't know if I've ever seen you sing lead. 
Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No shit. Yeah. Like what songs do you sing? Uh, well, I do Tennessee whiskey in that band. Okay. All the time. Well, <laughs> <laughs> every damn night. Every seems night. like it. <laughs> no, I've got I've got I don't know maybe nine or ten songs that rotate in and out. But I mean when when Ray's on a roll, right? You know. Yeah. And you got to get Dwayne singing too. Right. There's five guys in the band and I'm the fifth singer. And, and everybody sings their ass off. Yeah. You know? What an incredible band. That band is like, that's It, it can be out. a lot of fun. Yeah. You know? And we're only doing three nights now. And I, for me, that's way better. Because mm-hmm. the five night a week thing at the same place was really getting to me for a while. Yeah. I, I, c- I quit for a while and then yeah, I ended yeah. up coming back. And, I remember that, I think. Yeah. I can imagine that five nights a week could could start to wear on you is it because the repertoire doesn't change or not enough or like what no that really doesn't bother me Mm -hmm. i mean at that period in time we were rehearsing a lot and adding new songs all the time i see the the frustrating thing there is we'd add two or three songs and then you know we'd say "Eh, these aren't working Ah, right, right. <laughs> and we still play the same songs over and over, but right. But that really doesn't bother me because we screw around so much; they're different every night. You really, know? those so. well, and and every member of that band, I'm sure, can turn on a dime. You know, and um, I'm assuming Ray is the MD, or yeah, yeah. or just it's you know, it's it's Ray's band and it's Ray's bar, and you know, right, right. We're we're just having fun. <laughs> <laughs> And when did you um, when did you get connected with the Nash? How did that come about? Another friend of mine, Dave Islandfeld, he's a piano player. Um, I, he actually lived in Flagstaff for a little while too. Mm-hmm. Odd that everybody comes back there, right? Um, but he lives down here, and back in uh, right around the same period of time, 2013 or 14, he recorded an album of all his original stuff, and uh, I played on it. And we decided to do an album release party, and he lined up the Nash. Hmm. So we're playing this party, and uh, Joel Goldenthal is the um, executive director of the Nash, a piano player. Joel Robin, he goes by here. Okay. Um, I've done some gigs with him over the years and stuff, so I knew who he was. And at the end of the gig, um, all the other guys are tearing down and stuff, and I look around, and Joel is running around the building just like with his hair on fire. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on, man? Are you, you need some help or something? He goes... <laughs> I'm losing it. I, I can't keep up with all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I just happen to be unemployed right now. And right. he goes, call me, call me. And uh, that's what happened. And I've been there ever since. And, and doing what? In what capacity? Um, it's a little bit more involved now than it was back in those days. I used to just work from home and do the website updates and mm-hmm. make sure the calendars were accurate and all the people were assigned to the right shifts and everything. Um, now I go down there three or four days a week. And do actually do a shift at the place, mm-hmm. and uh, more, more or less the same job. They call me the administrative manager. But what do you mean? But do a shift? What does that mean? I just I'm in the building. I see. So your point of contact for whatever band is yeah. in or whatever, and pretty much making yeah. sure the lights are on and the doors are open. And check the mail. Check the mail. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And um, I've never played there. I don't know if I've even seen a show there, um, but it's it's certainly become. Um, the spot in Phoenix for, for jazz. I mean, is there anything that even touches it? Well, there, now there's the West Side Blues and Jazz and the Ravenscroft. That's true. Um, that brand new venue, yeah. And I, which is great, I think. Have you been over there? I have not been there yet. But Have you worked with Bob? No, no. Yeah. I'd like to get over there. Looks like a really nice room. I've, I've heard it's just amazing, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, what's What's next for you? What's this year look like? Um, well, I've got an album. No oh, shit. It's all. It's painfully close to being done. Original stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And who's on that? Uh, well, it started as a pandemic project, so I only use people with home studios for a while. Right. Right. Um, my uh, stepson, the one who graduated from Berkeley, plays most of the keys on it. Uh, Gary's on drums, of course. Yeah, love it. Gary Brazizi. <laughs> Shout name, out. Name drop. Yeah. Um, Ray's on it. Mm. Jim Pfeiffer playing guitar. Uh, this guy from Bakersfield named Kyle Appleton, who's an amazing guitar player. How did you get connected to him? Uh, Gary and I got contacted in a roundabout way to do this little regional tour for a guy named Charlie McNeil. He's a young country songwriter, and he brought along Kyle. So we did some dates in like Portland and some just like Southern Washington and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, Kyle was there and I was like, damn, this guy can play, man. So mm -hmm. I stayed in touch with him and, and he's got a real good home studio too. And so you're, you know, still getting out on the road when, when, when the opportunity oh, presents yeah. itself. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not really all that interested in uh, jumping in a van and driving around the country again, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it if it was the right situation, but AKA, <laughs> yeah, not in the van, <laughs> but flying dates, man, hell yeah, I'll do those yeah. all day, you know? Yeah. The way I want to feel is always being pushed across every finish line. come about what's your process how do you how do you write <laughs> you know i don't know that i've written enough to have a process yet but uh <laughs> this one came about because uh i was playing around with some chord changes that i thought were cool and i was you know like on a guitar or a bass um a keyboard actually mm. and uh, i was just trying to see you know what if i did this and did that and moved this here and this here and right and i was like hey that's kind of cool you know and, yeah so that this one, and then I was going to do a, a, like a kind of a straight ahead shuffle feel with it, and I accidentally hit the six eight button on my <laughs> on my uh, iReal book. I, uh -huh. I, I typed it into iReal book, and I was playing it back, and it gives you all those uh, those different styles you can play back the song as. And yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. hit six eight, and I was like, oh, another lucky accident, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it turned into that. Uh, what inspired the lyric? Um, well, when I was messing around with it, my wife. Um, Carrie came in and she goes, I really like this groove. It's kind of, this is kind of like the way I want to feel. And I was like, hey, You're like, hold on, pause. <laughs> I need to write this down. Pa go make me a sandwich. <laughs> I'm, I'm working. <laughs> now I'm working. <laughs> Sorry, honey. 
So, all right. So, uh, so you're cutting her in on the back end, so to speak. You got to, you know, give her a percentage point. A percentage. She gets all of it. <laughs> Everything all the time. Every penny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So who's on the track? This one is Gary Brzezzi on drums. Um, Ray Herndon's playing guitars and, uh, Tommy Knowles, my stepson, Tommy Knowles, the yeah. badass Tommy Knowles, nice. is playing keys, and uh, I'm singing everything. So. Sounds great, man. Thank you. And and as I, we were just listening to it, you have a, a high register. I mean, you you I, well, first I I heard the vocal. And I was like, well, who's singing? <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> and I could totally hear, you know, I could totally hear your sensibilities a lot of the bands that we have just been talking about you know at first i heard i thought wow this kind of has like a an eagles feel to it um uh, who's the cat that plays bass for them tim schmidt timmy schmidt yeah i was like it kind of has some of his sensibilities a little bit certainly the vocal range uh is evocative of that um and then those harmonized guitar lines that ray is doing i was like well that's that's like a page out of Steely Dan, and and so it's it's almost like a it's a great. I I think I overuse the word synthesis, so I apologize. <laughs> but it is it is a great synthesis of all of these bands and and vibes and feels and grooves that we have been talking about. There's, I can only see one problem in this whole thing, which those is, bands are all from the seventies, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck. I mean, fuck. We can have a conversation about like who is inspiring now. I mean, yeah, you know, but. Um, I love it. Uh, it's not often, you know, I had no idea that, that you also wrote your own stuff. Yeah, I don't, but I haven't been very prolific. Um, I've, I've been trying to write for years and years and years, and I've contributed a lot over the years to other people's songs. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, what am I going to do with myself now? You know, you started writing, uh, during the COVID break and you mentioned that you basically farmed it out. Everyone that had a home studio would yeah. be cutting you would send them what the the piano pretty, and the- pretty much um uh first thing that happened was i i i kept thinking all my life i've been like well if i had the time i could get really good at pro tools if i had the time i'd finish that song you know right so then i had the time suddenly and uh and uh decided i was going to try just to write something and see if it came out and i wrote this song called uh, stuck here with you for my <laughs> wife carrie <laughs> it's kind of a love song but at the same time like a little needling right and, uh, right so I did that and I sent it around. Um, I have that Easy Drummer mm-hmm. app. And yeah, sure. uh, like I was saying, I do a lot of stuff with the iReal book, which is a crazy way to do it, but it works for me. Mm-hmm. I'll just put the chord changes in and play that out. And I'd sync it all up, play the bass and sing, and then start sending it out to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary doesn't have a home studio, so we were going over to Autos to do drums. Love that spot. Yeah. Yep. And uh, then my stepson, Tommy, Tommy Knowles, Come on, shout out. He's been great. He, in fact, he, the way he dealt with the pandemic was he got on that Fiverr site. I don't you know heard what of that? that is, no. I hadn't heard of it until he told me about it. It's, uh, it's one of the first online places where you can find an expert to do anything for you, kind of. Oh, okay. And a lot of musicians jumped on that. And I looked into it and it was like, you know, you had to start at like 20 bucks a track. And uh-huh. I was like, I don't want to no, play on no. it. <laughs> not worth but, it. But Tommy is like, I'll do it. Why not? And he's yeah. stuck with it. And he's, he's making actually some pretty good money doing it now. No shit. Just remote. Yeah. You know, they'll send the, the track over. He cuts it and sends it back. Yeah. Yeah. And have you always been writing? Or is this a more recent thing? Or I've, I've always been writing, but 
rarely finishing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. the difference here. Right. Right. And you just had the time and yeah. you had the players. Yeah. And, and what's the budget now? I mean, now you know, you're working with friends and you can do it kind of on your own time and release it on your own. And yeah. Yeah. It's, there's no way I could have afforded to do an album, you know, be back before everybody had a home studio and pro tools and everything. Right. Which, you know, it's, it's sad to see all the cool studios going away, but yeah. But then again, this is pretty cool in a lot of ways. Right. Right. It's, um, and I'm sure you've worked, um, in, in most of the studios here in town. Do you miss that experience? Like does the advantage of being able to send it out remotely, does that outweigh that, that classic studio experience where you're all in a room, you're all feeding off of each other, creating um, a sense of camaraderie. Like, yeah, I mean, they both have advantages. Yeah, that's a tough call. I Do mean, you see one outweighing the other? Uh, there's pretty strong arguments for both of them. Yeah. And I really, really like everybody being in the same room and working out a song together and getting a re- recording that everybody's proud of, you know, mm. that's, that's just a great feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, for the way I'm doing this stuff though, I mean, I get to bring it home and, you know, pick it apart and obsess about it and move stuff here and there. And, right. and that, that was certainly never a possibility before. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess, I guess now the more I think about it, there are advantages to both, but I, I personally, just miss you know setting up four days in the studio yeah like that yeah. you can't you don't get the i don't know that's just me you, there's something about there's a there's an intangible thing that happens when you put really talented people in the room together yeah. um, but this sounds great and it and it feels real you know which is i guess one of the advantages of being able to form it out is that you still get the you still get that thing that moves you Mm-hmm. Right, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what is the plan? When uh, you said you're you're dangerously close to finishing, yeah. What is the plan? Are you going to do kind of a traditional uh, show? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about that actually. Um, when it's done, I'm going to get some CDs made mm. just to go old school. Why don't we go way old school? Just do eight track. Can you get those anymore? I don't know. Because I would. Well, wouldn't that be hip? Here's my eight track. <laughs> I got an eight track player here too. Three thousand dollars. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, I really don't have a plan. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, get it on uh, the streaming sites because that you know all the money that's there. Oh man, you everybody can, fat checks though. You can retire once you put that <laughs> shit on Spotify, bro. Come on. I don't know why I'm doing any of this. To be honest, right, with you. right, right. I think, I think, uh, you know, for me, it's just, it's finishing a project. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the catharsis of completion, right? Um, obviously, you know, printing CDs is one thing or having a traditional CD release party is one thing. All of those, you know, quote unquote, normal things that you would do when you release a record are kind of gone, right? So how do we celebrate the completion of a project how do we do it like i don't know (laughs) come on john i'm trying to 
We're trying to get some answers here. <laughs> I was going to say, if you think of something, please let me know because it's coming right up, man. <laughs> I uh, mean, do you envision maybe doing um, a show at Handlebar? You know, I don't know that most of the people really like my stuff at Handlebar. I mean, I, I'm sure that he'd let me go in there and play the, the CD over the PA system and invite <laughs> people, you know, that may be the way I go. I don't know. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe even the Nash or something. But right. Right. I'd never wrote these songs with the idea that I was actually going to play and sing them at the same time. So I'd have to learn them all. Right. If, right. if we were going to play them. Right. But I don't know, man. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's equal parts, uh, terrifying <laughs> and super satisfying. Yeah. You know, cause the, there is no playbook anymore. All the rules are gone. So I don't know. I just come back to why, like, I, just for me personally, like, what's the point? I just, I don't know. I've been struggling with that. Yeah. You know, but anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm inspired by you because, um, as someone who has been kind of dancing around this idea for a number of years and finally getting to see it come together must be super gratifying. It is. And you know, really the only reason I had for doing all this was I had time Right, and I wanted to create something that I could listen to in ten years and think, yeah, that wasn't too bad, you know. Yeah, I don't expect to make a penny off of this, of course, but yeah. Well, you're in the wrong business if you wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm only in this for the money, right? That's yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Free drinks and uh, yeah, a pat on the back every once in a while. This wasn't in the brochure, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, man. This is lovely, been fun. lovely chatting with you. Um, really excited to hear the record front to back. Cool, thanks. Um, and um, once you do uh, print some eight tracks, I'll I'm I'm in line <laughs> to buy one. Would you do vinyl? Actually, it, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Do you have a, you have a record player? At yeah, home? yeah. I don't use it all that much, but I have one. Yeah. I mean the 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 price her unit is, is a little exorbitant. That's you know? kind of what I thought. Yeah. And it's, but you know, if you can, I guess, justify it and say, I'm just going to print a hundred. I'm going to number them. I'm going to sign them. You know, like it's limited edition shit that yeah. your super fans can have. You know what I would rather do if I was going to do that is start over and, you know, write a bunch of new songs and actually do them all live in a studio with, with mics, room mics, you screw up, tough luck, man. Right. No redoing, no punches. No shit. <laughs> and then put that on vinyl. Yeah. That'd be cool. Whoa. Or record, yeah, or record just a live show, you know, over the course of three or four nights, you run the record down, you record it every night, yeah. and you take the best version. There you go. All Let's right. do that. Well, I'm now I'm your manager. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need a cut, though. This shit is not free, bro. There's plenty of Spotify cash to go around, man. <laughs> How do you split four cents between four cents? <laughs> Come on, that's unrealistic. We're well, that's, a, get... that's for 10,000 plays. That's not, you know, four cents a stream. This is uh, over the course of a year. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming down, man. Real pleasure to chat with you. Yeah. Really excited for the record and, and happy for you. What a great, um, you know, as you say, in 10 years, you'll, you'll be able to look back and say, that's how I spent my time. And that's, yeah. that's time well spent. That's how I think. You know, so it's certainly uh, better than the alternatives. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, John. I appreciate Thank you, man. man. I'll see. I'll. I'm. I'm going to come down to handlebars and and uh, handlebars. And we we call it all kinds of things, and that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see you there, man. Thank you for cool. your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>